Well, good to see everyone today. Welcome to Center Point Church. Yay! Yay! We made it. We're in church together. Okay, so before we get into the message, I want us to take a moment right now and make sure that we are all alert and in God's presence together. So I want all the lights to, to, to be on. You can bring up all the lights. Uh, I'm, I feel better when I can see you. <laughs> so before we begin to uh, get into the Word of God together, let's just take a moment and ask God to touch our lives today. Because let's not take this for granted. This is a time for God's people the two or three, to be together. And our promise from Jesus is that when we are gathered like this, the two, the three, that what does he say? He says, there I am in your midst. And, and I believe him for that. Don't you want to experience the touch of Jesus today? Way out over in the end of the chapel. Don't you want to experience the touch of Jesus today? Come on, that's how it's done. The hands are up. So let's just take a moment right now. And actually, what a, what a great way to begin, like to just raise your hands. And why don't you just do that with me? Just raise your hands up for a second and take a big old deep breath and just say, God, I need your touch. Just say it, God, I need your touch. <laughs> God, I need your touch. And I pray that as you touch us now, Lord, that you would keep that fire alive inside. I thank you, God, that your fire is burning and it hadn't gone out. And God, I thank you that right now you are going to speak to me through your word. You're going to speak to us through your word. Would you just say that? God, speak to me through your word. Say it again. God, speak to me through your word. And I give you glory with my life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Ah, thank you, Lord. Okay, so I want to just... So let's keep the lights on, actually, a little higher. I'm sorry I'm changing it up on y'all, but I just feel like I want to see everybody and felt like, why are we standing around in the dark? <laughs> I want to see my friends, my brothers and my sisters. So uh, I'll start with an old preacher story. Um, there, so there's a bird flying south for the winter, got a late start. And uh, so it was disconnected from the rest of the birds and it's flying south and uh, gets caught in a snowstorm. And the snowstorm, you know, starts freezing him. He goes in for a crash landing in some field out in the Midwest somewhere. And, 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 and then the, the snow and the sleet and the ice are coating him and he just starts crying. He's going, this is it. I'm doomed. I'm done for. It's over. It's over. I'm dead. And he's, uh, he's getting covered with snow and he just gives up. He figures he's just going to die there, freezing in the, in the snow in the field. And uh, lo and behold, a, a cow comes, you know, walking across the pasture that he had landed in. And the cow uh, goes this way and then turns this way and then dumps all over him. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. This, th th this is what happened to this poor bird. And this poor bird is chirping, going, I can't believe it. I was already dying in the snow. And, and now this happens. Now I'm buried under a pile of manure. And he's chirping like crazy. But then he realizes something. He realizes that the heat of the manure is like thawing out his frozen little wings. And he starts flapping them and chirping, chirping, chirping. I might survive after all. Chirp, 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 chirp. And, and then there was a cat that was crawling across the field looking for something, heard the sound of chirping, and went right over to him and started digging the manure off of the bird. And the bird is, is, uh, is chirping. He feels the warmth. But then he realizes the manure is being removed and dug off of him. And he's so excited. He's chirping all the more because he's going to be set free. Somebody's taking the manure off. Chirp, 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 chirp. Until he was gone. 
because that cat got into there and ate him dead. End of story. End of story. End of story. Cruelty to animals for free this Sunday. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I had to start with this little preacher story. A couple, a couple of points about this story. Uh, the first one would just be this. Manure happens. Manure happens, and Jesus said so. He didn't use those words, but he did. He said in, in, in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. And it's like Jesus was just wanting to make sure that we would never be mystified and deluded into thinking a life with God is going to be one where everything turns out perfect just the way I want it all the time. And Jesus said, listen, I want you to know in advance, manure happens. In this world, you will have draw. Second, uh, second point from that little story is just that uh, not everybody who dumps manure on you is your enemy. And sometimes there's a purpose for, for the manure that gets deposited. Sometimes. Sometimes. And then a third point from that little story would be that not everybody who uh, supposedly comes to your rescue is necessarily your friend. So a few ideas from that story. But I just wanted us to get into the Word of God. We're going to jump into uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, and it's Elijah's life, and he is pressed. He's having a manure moment in his life. And that's what's going to happen in, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 19. So open your Bible there. We are looking into the life of the prophet Elijah and seeing what we can learn for our lives from this great prophet. And so we're turning to 1 Kings 19. Open up your Bible, or if you have a phone, get a Bible app open and find 1 Kings 19. I want you to get engaged spiritually with me today. But as you're turning there, here's kind of the recap. So what we saw was that in the, in, in the passage in 1 Kings 18 that we were looking at last week, the prophet Elijah calls for a holy showdown on Mount Carmel. And he asks for all the prophets of Baal, all the prophets of Asherah, all the false prophets to come out to this mountain. And he challenges them to a spiritual duel. And Baal and Asherah do a whole lot of nothing. And then Elijah comes out there and he has this altar that their gods couldn't do anything to. No fire was burning at all. And Elijah said, watch this. Pours water all over the whole entire altar. Gallons upon gallons of water pouring it over it. And then he prays. And the fire of God comes. And everybody knows that Elijah's the man of God and that God's God, the God of Elijah is God. Take that Ahab and your witchy wife Jezebel. Elijah's the man. God is God. It was like this epic, amazing scene. And so that's what has just happened. And we got to just go from that right into uh, 1 Kings 19. And so jump there with me. 1 Kings 19.1. It said, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. If you're reading this for the very first time, you might be looking at this and say, what? Wait, wait, wait a minute. Everybody say, wait a minute. Wait, wait. wait a minute. What happened to the big, bold, bad Elijah? Like, what happened to the prophet? What happened to the prophet full of 
faith to go into the Kareth ravine and, and experience bread and meat being dropped off by ravens, Elijah. What happened to the big bad prophet? Elijah shows up in the widow's place and turns one little jar of flour and oil into a lifetime supply of food in the kitchen. What happened to the mighty prophet Elijah who's able to, uh, to see a dead boy raised back to life? What happened to the mighty prophet Elijah we just reminded ourselves of who brings the fire of God on the altar in front of all the false prophets and sees them all defeated publicly? What happened to the prophet Elijah who spoke and the rain stopped and then spoke again just before this and the rain began again after three years? Where's that guy? Come on, somebody, where is that guy? Uh, that's, this is, I mean, if I was never had, having read the Bible before, that's not what I would have expected in this moment. What I'm expecting is some kind of a celebration, victory dance after, after this great victory on Mar Mount Carmel. But what I, what I see is, is a man who's living through a moment of extreme depletion and depression. That's what I'm seeing. And I think it's important to, to just recognize that in God's word, these kinds of moments aren't sugar-coated. That in this part of the scripture, we're being given a, a window into a real-time moment of a very real human being who had a wonderful, powerful connection with God that was infused with prophetic power, but at the same time had a real struggle with some deep Matters of despair, can anybody relate? And if so, you're in good company. And so here's this mighty prophet, but in this moment, he, he is, he's a man who's just been through a mighty victory and who's now staring down a massive valley, valley of despair. And I want us to see in this part of the scripture a pattern that may be useful to some of us for what to do when we're down. I don't want this to be a formula, but I do think that there may be some, uh, some profit in seeing the pattern of this prophet. I just had to say that, somebody. Did you catch that? God, I just had to say it. But this, this moment uh, is a moment that I want us to, to look at together. So you've got this prophet dealing with uh, a, a depletion and depression. And so let's understand together that what we're looking at is some of the things that can bring that about. And, and let's just evaluate it. First of all, uh, he's exhausted by the exertion. I mean, we, we celebrated what happened in 1 Kings 18, mighty man of God uh, on the mountaintop calling down fire. And we may look at that and, and think, that's amazing. He was, he was just talking. What he was doing was pouring himself out spiritually, emotionally, physically. And now he is exhausted by all of that exertion. You know what they say? Uh, they say, uh, uh, what do you call it when uh, half the preachers and pastors in the whole entire country want to quit? Monday. 
Monday. You call it Monday. <laughs> and I, so, I, I mean, I, it hits home personally because I, I can relate a little bit. And there's a reason why that saying exists. It's because there are a bunch of people who do something like what I do that it, it calls for a lot of pouring out, a lot of expression of energy and investment of emotional presence and spiritual attention. And there, there can be a period of depletion that follows it. And it, it, it leads to a place, in, in Elijah's case, of deep despair to the point that he's talking about, I want to die. You caught that, right? That the, the word of God isn't sugarcoating it. And I know that you caught what I caught, which was that he was afraid. Did you catch that? In the King James, it says it like this. It says, when he saw that, when he saw that what? When he saw that, that Jezebel was threatening him. It had an immediate effect on him. What caught his attention was the possibility of what was going to go very wrong. And that converted him. It converted him from his place of faith to a place of, of real fear. And I know that over this last year, year and a half, a lot of us have made a, a big deal about, you know, waving the banner for faith over fear, faith over fear. Anybody? 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 Okay, we, we've probably all felt that and maybe posted some things about that. And there is a place for that. But there's also a place for just recognizing that sometimes even the best of us get kind of whooped with the frayed stick. And that happened right here to Elijah. We've already come to understand together the prominence of the prophet Elijah, right? That in the, in, in the, in the history of the Judeo-Christian faith and, and faith community, like we, there's no greater prophet than Elijah. He's held in the highest regard. But even he had a moment where the faith just seemed to evaporate. And he was, right now, uh, he was floundering in fear. That was what was happening. He was floundering in fear. And the fear was instigated by a threat uh, from, from Jezebel. And the, I want to ask you a question. At this point, had Jezebel done anything to him yet? No, all she had done was spoken. All she had was a word. <laughs> you know, check this out. Elijah, one of the things that we've recognized in this series where we've gone week by week through the life of Elijah together is that there's one thing about this man that seems to set him apart and allow him to prevail. And it's this phrase that has jumped out in passage after passage about Elijah. It's the moments where it says, and the word of the Lord came to him. Yeah. And that phrase seems to show up again and again as the secret sauce in the prophet Elijah's life. And the word of the Lord came to him. Why don't you say that phrase again? Say it. And the word of the Lord came to him. Say it one more time. And the word of the Lord came to him. And this experience of being a person who the word of the Lord is coming to is what allows him to, to rise up and overcome and keep going and persevere and believe for the impossible. That's it. The word of the Lord coming to him. But in this moment, it wasn't the word of the Lord that had come. It was the word of Jezebel. Jezebel is a historical human person. She, she's here in the book of 1 Kings, described. She is the princess of the people of Sidon. She is a priestess in the, the, the pagan religion of Baal and Asherah worship and a prophetess of that, uh, that false religion. And 
on one hand, she's just a human person in history. But on the other hand, what uh, we've come to understand in the community of faith is that sometimes certain people who are described in scripture actually are exhibiting a demonic spirit. And so there's a demonic spirit that is uh, coming through this woman, Jezebel. And looking back, we call this the Jezebel spirit. And it's named after her because of the kinds of things that, that she did. And one of the things that she did often was to breathe out intimidation and threat of destruction. That's what the Jezebel spirit does. It's a demonic spirit. And what is happening in this moment is that the prophet Elijah, who knows what it's like to hear the word of the Lord, at this time, he's hearing the word of, if I can say it, a demonic spirit, and it's got a hook in him. And he's beginning to partner with it. He's beginning to internalize it. He's beginning to believe it, and you can see the effect that it's having on him. The effect that it's having on him is it's pushing him deeper into despair and darkness. I want you to recognize this for what it is. It is a demonic spirit that wasn't just in back in 1 Kings way back in the day. This is a demonic spirit that you and I need to be able to recognize if it shows its face and to resist, knowing the promise of the New Testament, which is if I resist the devil, he will flee. I, I want to pay attention to this because I know what it's like to get caught in that pit, that cave of despair that I see Elijah in. And I want to learn what I can about how to avoid it if it's possible. And so he's floundering in fear and he's jinxed by Jezebel and, and he's isolated. He's completely alone, so there's no life-giving connection with any people that could speak any encouragement to him. And he's steeped in self-loathing. That's demonic. When he starts saying, I'm no better than my ancestors, anybody else would have looked at that if they could have heard him and said, what are you talking about? Who has ever done what you've done up on the mountain? But he's, he's steeped in self-loathing, and he's, he's talking himself deeper into this pit. Can anybody relate? Like when, when we get ourselves into that vortex of negativity and we start spinning deeper down into it, we start repeating thoughts that I don't even believe are from the Lord. I think that thought was from the demonic spirit that was afflicting him. When he starts saying, I'm nothing, I'm no worse, I'm no better than my ancestors. And, and fill in the blanks with what it might look like for you. Maybe you're, you're saying, I just hate myself. I'm never going to make it. Nothing good is ever going to happen for me. Those kind of thoughts. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's right where Elijah is. Even Elijah, even the great Elijah, stuck there in, in, this, in this pit of despair. Let's, let's keep reading in verse 5. It, it said, he said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He lay down under the, the bush and fell asleep. And all at once... An angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around. There by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. The journey's too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights till he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. So Elijah, we recognize something. 
He's dealing with depletion and depression. No sugarcoating required. That's just the reality. And if you are a man of God and a woman of God, but you've struggled with depression or are even in that place right now, there is no shame. You need to know you're in good company if that's what you're experiencing. And that there's, there's a way in which God would invite us to, to process it with him. And I think part of that we see right here in what we've just been reading. And what I want to recognize is that as Elijah's dealing with this, this moment of depression, I want to look at, at this man of God and say, well, what did he do when he was down like that? What did he do? Because then maybe I could learn something for when I face moments like this or for what I'm going through even right now. And what I look at is a man who in this moment of dealing with his depression, what does he do? Nothing. He does nothing in this moment. Nothing except rest. Rest and more rest, quiet, receiving. That's all he could do. But he's resting and he's receiving. And, and that is maybe something of the, the pattern for recovery through depression that we could learn from, Elijah. When, what do I do when I'm down? What do you do when you're down? You rest and receive from the Lord. Start there, rest and receive from the Lord. Rest and receive from the Lord. Say it out loud, rest and receive from the Lord. Say it again, rest and receive from the Lord. And for a lot of us right now, I want you to just touch your heart for a second and close your eyes and say it after me. I'll rest and receive from the Lord. Say it, I'll rest and receive from the Lord that there's a place when only this is all you can do and it's the right thing. I'll rest and receive from the Lord. You know what's Amazing, you just picture this moment, Elijah's just in this deep funk, and he wakes up to the smell of a campfire, and he looks over and he sees the smoke rising from the campfire, and there's an angel, reaches out, and he's touched by an angel. Come on, somebody, remember the 90s, it was good. Was it 90s? I don't know. Anyway, he's touched by an angel. And then... The angel, it gives him, gives him bread, freshly baked bread. Note to self, just a recognition of something. If you're dealing with depression, God's prescription does not include refraining from carbohydrates. Like, actually, if you're going through depression, you could hit the bakery. It's okay. Like, that's part of what I'm seeing here. Fresh bread, I'll take it. Throw in an almond croissant from Le Cafe in Temecula, too. I'll take it. This moment, though, this is... This is real. All he can do is rest and receive from the Lord. And if you're going through it, remember this. It's okay if you need to hold up for a bit and rest and receive from the Lord. To, to, to rest in his presence. To rest and, and, and he's not doing anything. He's not trying to make something happen. He's not like trying to you know, pray as hard as he can to make an angel show up. He's just resting. But is there a place in your spiritual landscape in which God could show up in a supernatural way? Is there a way in which you, you have room in your spiritual understanding for the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, to, if he wants to and chooses to, to send an angel your way? Is there room for you to understand that, that God might reach out through an angelic presence even and touch you? And maybe even if you would just allow that idea to be in your mind, that you might even say, God, I would love to experience something like that sometime. He just might come through. Amen. But I noticed this pattern 
for Elijah that begins with, with rest and simple good nutrition. And that's part of God's prescription for us when we're going through it. It's, it's a restorative rest. I wonder what restorative rest would look like for you. And that's a question I'd ask you to mull over, a discipleship question even. What would restorative rest look like for me? Would it look like, you know, watching your favorite show for a few hours? Maybe, but maybe restorative rest could look a little different. For, for, for Elijah, the restorative rest moved him into a place that was, uh, that was not his regular routine. He, he was off having a camping trip. There, and maybe there's something to that in your process of recovery of what do you do when you're down. It may have to do with getting into a place like Elijah did where you're having a campfire. Uh, maybe it has to do with getting out of the routine and, and getting some solitude. And there's a difference between uh, loneliness and solitude. But it's, it's self-care at a deep level. I want to keep reading verse 9. So it, it said that, he went into that cave and he spent the night. And in verse 9, it says, And the word of the Lord came to him. Won't you just say that with me? And the word of the Lord came to him. This, this is Elijah. This is the man of God. This is the woman of God. The word of the Lord coming to a person. This is what sets you apart. This is what empowers you. This is what relieves you. This is what fills you. This is what changes you. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mount of the cave. This is a holy moment. It's a holy ground moment. But the moment starts with that question. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, man of God? What are you doing here? Woman of God. And I'm asking you this question because I wonder if maybe, if maybe God is looking at some of us right now with a similar question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? I mean, he's standing there on the, on, on the mouth of a cave. But in this moment, it's like as though God is looking at you in the cave that you have found yourself in and asking you the same question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here in this cave of unforgiveness that has become a prison for you, holding you back from the joy that I have designed you for? What are you doing here, man of God, in this addiction and diving deeper into it still? When I have freedom for you, what are you doing here? 
woman of God, in this cave of bitterness where you can't let go of the pain of what was so that you might be able to embrace what could yet be. What are you doing here, man of God, in this spiritual apathy, just passively figuring somebody else will take care of spiritual leadership? What are you doing here in this place of ambivalence about this relationship that requires you to show up? What are you doing here in this secret sin that you keep on diving headlong into? What are you doing here when I have a life of freedom for you, when I have a life of power for you, when I have a life of love for you, when I have a life of goodness for you, when I have a life of freedom for you, shout it, what are you doing here? Oh, oh, really? That's how you're going to shout it? Like that? Like two of you? Why don't you make it personal? Say, what am I doing here? Just say, what am I doing here? I think there are places where we've gotten stuck in a cave, and maybe the Spirit of the Lord is coming along right now to say, what are you doing here? I want you to think about how you got here, about the journey that you've been on, about why you're in this place, and about how you're going to leave. I want you to think about how you're going to move from this cave into something better that I have for you. I want you to rise up in the power that I'm willing to give you. I want you to experience me in a new way. And that's what's happening in this moment, isn't it? Elijah is a person who has known the Lord. He's known the Lord. He's known the powerful, miraculous goodness of God coming through in the, in the provision for that widow and the provision from the birds, and, right? He's known the goodness and power of God coming in a miraculous way to raise the dead. He's known the dramatic fire of God, presence of God coming on top of Mount Carmel. He's known God in all of those ways. But part of what needs to happen for Elijah to come out of this depression is he needs an opportunity to rediscover God. To know him in a fresh way. To know God in a new way so that he can be refreshed and recharged in a new way. And he needs to do exactly what we saw him just doing, which is to release the pain to the Lord. So that's a pattern that I'm seeing here that maybe could be helpful to some of us if we're coming through and going through a deep place, a dark place. We start with rest and receive from the Lord, but then we also want to rediscover, rediscover God and release the pain to him. Rediscover God and release the pain to him. Say it with me. Rediscover God and release the pain to him. Rediscover God. You thought you knew him. You had him in a perfect, tidy little box, and you had the religion thing all dialed in just right. But you're in the pit right now, and you don't need the same old, same old religion. You need the touch of God. You need the encounter with the divine presence. And he may want to do something different now than he's done in the past. Was he in fire and wind and earthquakes in other moments? Absolutely. But in this moment... Elijah needs to know God in a fresh way. He needs to rediscover God. And God allows him to rediscover his own faith as he rediscovers another aspect of God's character. God does not change, but we do. And what we go through changes us. 
And as what we go through changes us, it causes us to have a, a place inside that needs to know the love and power of God in new ways, to, stay, to sustain us through new trials. And he gets to rediscover who God is. What a powerful moment. But part of this moment, too, is God inviting him through the question, what are you doing here? To release the pain. Did you hear him do it? The prophet Elijah Amazing prophet Elijah, and maybe somebody wanted him to do everything right. And doesn't he know the verses, count it all joy? But instead, he's just pouring it out, the pain, the trial, the struggle, the difficulty. I mean, we read it. We can, we can read a few, a few more of it. He's, he's talking about, you know, here, here I am. I've been zealous, in verse, verse 14. I've been zealous. The Israelites rejected the covenant torn down your altars and put the prophets to death. I'm the only one left. They're trying to kill me. He's releasing the pain. And this is a must for us. If we're going through the valley of despair, we need to be able to, like Elijah did, say what it is. We need to be able to identify it, to name it, and then to not push it down and bury it and try to pretend it isn't there. And I'm supposed to count it all joy. Ah. But instead to say, ah, Amen. this hurts. This Pain stinks. The manure is all piled up on me, God. Name it. Say it. Release the pain. It's okay to do that. In fact, it's the prophet's prescription. He releases the pain to the Lord in this moment. He, he says exactly what the stuff is. He's not going to stay in that place, but there is a time when that's exactly what needs to happen. What are you doing here when I've called you to a life of freedom, purpose, power, and love? Rediscover God. Release the pain to him. And let me keep reading. It said in verse 13, then a voice said to him, again, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king of, over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You know what God is doing here to, with, with Elijah? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking somebody, some version of Elijah might want to say, hey, 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 hold on a minute. Don't you know how depressed I am? But God's, looking at the man and saying, we've, we've, had, we've, we've had a season to, to rest and receive. We've, we've, we've experienced that. And you've had a season and a period of time in which you got to rediscover me and, and release the pain to me, but I can't let you just stay in this place. I want you to go back the way you came. I want you to go back into your calling. I want you to go back into living out the purpose that I created you for. Elijah, you're a 
prophet. So go do some prophet stuff. Anoint some kings, raise up some other prophets, and kill the people who need to be killed. That's a crazy thing. By the way, can we just acknowledge there's some crazy stuff in the Bible. <laughs> like if you were in ministry 3,000 years ago, you'd be killing people, like for real. I mean, that was part of the prophet. Yes, it's crazy. I know, that's another conversation for another time. <laughs> but it has to do with God's judgment and desire for people to really know him and live in truth. And if there was gonna be something false rising up against the knowledge of the true power of God, it had to go down. And, and so he spoke to Elijah and said, go back. Go back the way you came, back to the purpose that I've called you for. And this is part of his recovery from his depression. Yes, he got to rest and receive from the Lord. And yes, he got to rediscover who God is and release the pain to him. But in this moment, what he gets to do is he gets to recharge in God's presence and then reconnect with his purpose, God's purpose for his life. Recharge in God's presence and reconnect to God's purpose. That's the third part of this message, and you can say it with me. Recharge in God's presence and reconnect to God's purpose. This is part of what you and I get to do. And for somebody today, as, as, as much as part of you wants to just stay in the pit, I think maybe for somebody today, God is saying, come on, come on, it's time again. And this is part of your recovery. This is part of how you rise up is by reconnecting with your purpose. And just like Elijah, God called him, look, you're a prophet. Go anoint some kings. That's what prophets do. You're a prophet. Go be a prophet. I think maybe for somebody right now, this is what God may be speaking to you. It's time for you to connect with the purpose that God created you for. Your purpose is first and foremost to be loved by God, to be a person who lives being loved by God. That's part of your purpose. In Jeremiah 31.3, it says that you have been loved with an everlasting love and that underneath are everlasting arms. And this is part of your experience, man of God, woman of God, to be someone who just lives in the love of God. But then from that, you love others. Jesus said in John 17, love as you've been loved. That's part of your purpose. There's people around you that need the love of God to touch them. And you might be the, the electric wire that lets the current flow. That's you. You're not here just to show up in church on Sundays. You're here to maybe get a, 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 a filling so that you can go out and let it flow. Because there's people that aren't going to come to any church service right now, but that you're going to come to. And you get to love them with the love of God. Yeah. Feel it. Feel the weight of that, the goodness of that, because it's part of your purpose. Your purpose includes you knowing God as your heavenly father. To be a human being who's not empty, but who is growing in a fullness of knowing your heavenly father. Jesus said this in John 17, 3. He said, this is life, that they might know you, the one true God. Like Jesus said, that's life. That's purpose. That's fulfillment. That's significance to walk around on this planet and every step you take knowing I am a child of the king. I walk with his authority. I live with his goodness and presence flowing through me. This earth is the earth that my heavenly father created. And in this moment, even with all of its dark clouds and pain, I reign with him. 
I'm a child of the king. <laughs> this is who you get to be. Your purpose is to be someone who would share the good news with people around this world. To be someone who shares the good news with people around this world. Come on, you know this. Jesus said it in Matthew 28. Go, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. My question to you is, if you are a follower of Jesus, who are you discipling? Who are you? I'm literally asking you this right now. Some of you, gladly, you can answer that. Because you, 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 you lead a small group in CP Youth, and you're discipling. You lead a home group like, like Daryl was talking about. You, you're a leader of a connect group, and you're discipling some people. And you, you're teaching in CP Kids, and you're discipling some people. You do something with a group of people at your work, and, and, and it's not even connected to the church, but you know you're discipling them. Good. And everybody else, come on. Connect with the purpose God has for you. It's part of how you're going to get out of the funk that you've been in. You, you, you are here, and your purpose is to do good in this world. Ephesians 2.10 says that, that we are created in Christ Jesus to do the, the good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. And if you're laying back and never involving yourself in contributing and being part of the flow of the goodness of God, you aren't going to feel the, the goodness in your own spirit that you need. You, your purpose is to do good work in this world. Your Purpose is to make this world brighter and better. Because Jesus said, you, you are the light of the world. And you are the salt of the earth. Jesus said that about you. And so the question is, are you shining? And, and is your saltiness being tasted somehow? And I mean the Jesus saltiness, not the kind of saltiness where you use bad words and think it's fun. I'm not talking salty and spicy like that. I'm talking about salty like Jesus. This is what we're made for, and it's part of what lifts us. Reconnect with, with purpose. So uh, one of the places I went shopping uh, this past couple of months was uh, JCPenney. I uh, went and, and got a, uh, some black V-neck T-shirts. It's a good place to... Get that staple, and that's one of mine. And uh, anyway, I was thinking about this. The store, J.C. Penney, started by a real guy whose last name was Penny. And he started this uh, chain of stores back in the early 1900s. And he, he was one of the uh, most big-time businessmen out there. And he, there were 1,700 Penny's locations around the country. And this was back in the 1920s. That was a pretty big deal, 1920s. That's big, right? And, he, and this guy, I mean, he was killing it. He was making it happen and starting one store after another. But then the Great Depression hit. And what had happened was Penny had started all these different locations by massively leveraging his money and borrowing more and more. And so when the Great Depression hit, it wasn't so good for Penny. And he began to, uh, to struggle with severe anxiety because he's troubling with how to pay the bills and how to make the uh, payments on the notes that everything he owed and how to make payroll for all of these places and the pressure of it and the weight of it and going through the Great Depression with all of that, it caused him to begin to literally lose his mind. And it got so bad that he checked himself into a mental health hospital. And the docs checked him in and evaluated him and, and said, yeah, you're you're toast, like you got, you're, gonna, you're done. And he just was in the, hooked up to an IV and in a bed for weeks. And after a couple weeks, he began to kind of come to his senses a little bit, enough to, to pay attention to what was going on in there. And the article I read said that he, 
you know, he heard the sound down the hallway in this uh, mental health facility that kind of got his attention. So he got up and he, you know, did that slow hospital hall walk, you know, down to whatever he was hearing. Turns out it was like the little chapel of this uh, hospital. And there were a group of people in there that were praying and worshiping. And it caught his attention. And, and he said, it said he just stood in the back listening to it. And it said uh, that it got to this point where they started singing all together. And, and in his own words, I'll read the quote of what he said. He said, as they were singing that song of praise, suddenly, he said, suddenly something happened that I can only call a miracle. I felt as if I had been instantly lifted out of the dungeon and out of the darkness and into a warm, brilliant sunlight. I was transported from hell to paradise, and I felt the power of God as I have never had before. And because of this moment, the depression was lifted, and the man was changed, changed forever, so much so that it wasn't called pennies anymore. It was called J.C. Pennies, because this man knew it was Jesus Christ that had set him free and lifted him up. Now, I'm grateful that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he could do that for a man in the 1920s, there's no trouble for him to do that right now and today and for somebody even here. And maybe you did the, figuratively the, the hospital walk even to get in here. I mean, inside, you're just feeling that way. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe God is saying, I want to meet you today. And it's like as though God is saying, this is what I want you to do when you're down. Rest and receive. Rediscover me. Release the pain to me. I know there's a lot of it, but you, you can't just keep holding on to it. Release the pain to me. Recharge in my presence and reconnect to my purpose for your life. And this is what's going to happen. As you engage in that process, God's power will come. And you will be lifted. It may be instantaneous. It may be in a process that uh, is protracted over a period of time. But this is what I want to do. I want to pray right now that for somebody, you would, you would be lifted by God. And, and this is the lifting I have in mind. It's, it's what it says in Ephesians chapter 3. And I'll, I'll close with this. It said, I pray, and this is Holy Spirit through Paul, praying. It's a demonstration of what God wants. It's his word. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is what you're made for. That's what God designed you to experience. Being filled to all the measure of the fullness of God with his love, a love that lifts you. And for somebody, it's maybe just the first part of what I just read that, that you need to 
embrace. Again, in verse 16, it said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. For, for somebody, that's what needs to happen. You need to embrace Jesus Christ by faith so that he might dwell in you because when the risen Lord Jesus is dwelling in you, the darkness gets defeated forever, forever, for eternity. And this is, this is my prayer right now is that for somebody, you would have a yes, Jesus, finally moment now. And for somebody who is here today, the truth is you've, you've been trying to put the pieces together. This is the piece. That God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son so that you would not perish, but that you would have everlasting life. And that everlasting life is a gift that is given to any person who turns to Jesus in faith. A simple faith to say, would you forgive my sin and save me? I believe you're the savior of the world. Jesus Christ, I'm yours. Everything starts there. The healing begins there. The power flows there. The love wells up there and is poured out there. And so for somebody, this moment is a moment to finally say yes to him. And for somebody else, we're gonna pray in just a moment that a lifting would happen for you. A fresh lifting from the presence of God. So let's take a moment and let's pray together. So as we pray, uh, take a deep breath and maybe you close your eyes and sit up straight because this isn't sleepy time. This is engaged in the presence of God time. So somebody just yawned literally right now. Come on, sit up, get the, you know, wiggle it out. This is not time to go to sleep. This is time to say, God, I'm here. I'm alert. I'm in your presence and I want you, God. I want you, God. I didn't want just church today, God. I wanted you, God. I'm here for you, God. I need you, God. I need your power. Just say it with me. I want you, God. I want your touch in my life. I want your fire burning in my spirit. I want your breath flowing into me. I want your power to come upon me. I want your strength to rise up in me. Just say, God, I want you. Say it with me. God, I want you. Say it again. God, I want you. Everybody say it. God, I want you. Say it louder with me. Say it. God, I want you. I want you, God. I want you, God. I want you, God. Your fire. Your touch, the power of your presence. God, I pray right now for, for somebody who's sitting here who just wants to know that they could be right with you. And for somebody just right now, you're sitting on the patio, you're at home, or you're right here in this room, but the yearning of your heart is, I just want to know that I could be right with God. I just want to know if there's a way to get rid of this shame and this guilt and this dirt that feels like it's crusted up all on me. I'm telling you right now, there's a way, and the way is Jesus. He is the way. And, and this moment is a moment for you to once and for all say, Jesus, forgive me and save me. He will. He'll do it. He'll wash away the guilt, the shame. He'll rescue you. He'll give you the gift of salvation, but he does not force this. He offers this. And to any willing heart, anyone who would say, I confess you, Jesus, as my Savior and Lord, I believe you are alive. 
and comes in as Savior. So while we're praying together, if, you, if you're going, I need to do that. I need to once and for all say yes to Jesus. Right now, I want you to, uh, to, to say yes to Jesus. And if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, I want you to pray with me. First, would you just raise your hand as a way of saying, that's it. This is my moment. I'm going to say yes to Jesus Christ right now. You raise your hand with me. If you know I want to ask him to forgive my sin and save my life. I don't want to be stuck with the guilt and shame of sin anymore. I want to be saved. And if you're joining me online, you just type it into the comments. I want to say yes to Jesus. And otherwise, raise your hand with me right now in this moment and pray with me in this moment and say, Jesus, I believe in you. That is where it all begins. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. You can say it with me. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. Would you forgive my sins and save my life? Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross to pay the price for my sin to be forgiven. I believe you did that because you loved me. I receive the fullness of your love and forgiveness now. Just say it, I receive all your love and forgiveness now. Thank you for washing me clean, setting me free. Thank you for this gift of new life and I receive it right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. God, I pray for others of us who are, truth be told, we're in an Elijah manure-like moment of our own. And we didn't come in today ready to talk about it, but it's just the reality. The heaviness, the darkness of it, it feels like too much. And the truth is, for some of us, we're in exactly the kind of place Elijah was when he said, I just want to die. And God, right now, I pray that uh, you would come through and that you would bring deliverance. And we take authority against the spirit of suicide and depression and death and despair. We take authority against any Jezebel assignments, breeding intimidation and threat of destruction. We take authority against those and any other demonic assignments that are causing the despair we're in, and we shut those things down right now in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whose blood was shed to set captives free. And so right now in this moment, together with faith and with authority as sons and daughters of the Most High, as men and women of God, we take our authority against demonic strongholds of depression. And we cancel assignments, demonic assignments of depression. And we say in this moment, I will no longer partner with demonic assignments of depression. I will no longer say things in my mind that are in agreement with demonic spirits. I will no longer say I, I'm nothing. I will no longer say I just want to die. I will no longer utter those things that are not from the Lord. Instead, I will speak by faith in this moment and say, my God loves me, and he's lifting me. Why don't you say that with me, every voice, my God loves me, and he's lifting me. Say it again, my God loves me, and he's lifting me. Say it again with me, my God loves me. I believe he's lifting me. I believe you're lifting us right now, God, and I pray that you would do it, that you would let your power come upon us, God. Let your power come upon us in this moment, Lord. You are God and you are good. You are God and you are good. 
Yeah, you can sing that out. This one thing, we'll start that over. Sing it again. This one thing. 